Our Old Testament reading today is taken from Psalm 145. So please go ahead and open up those nice new Bibles. It's found on page 631. We'll be reading verses 8 to 13. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, and faithful in all he does. This is the word of the Lord. Well, today is a special day, and I I think the full weight the full impact of what this day means hit me a, a few seconds ago when I was standing with my Bible in hand in, in the center aisle. I mean, this really is an extraordinary uh, occasion. Um, uh, in any case, I want to talk about that in a, a few moments, but uh, I want to let you know uh, that we are going to set aside our study of uh, the story of Nehemiah for one week, and we're going to focus today on, on the Protestant Reformation. We'll get back to Nehemiah, I promise, and we'll finish up that story by the end of November. Uh, Even though the Reformation was to change the way people thought about so many things, about politics and uh, economics and culture and and much more, I think it's important for us today to remember where the Reformation began. And it began, at least this is how the story has been uh, passed down to us uh, over the years, it began with an Augustinian monk uh, by the name of Martin Luther who tried and tried desperately at times, in deep anguish uh, at times, uh, to find peace, uh, to experience the gospel in uh, uh, simplest terms. And to do that, as you know, Luther uh, read and studied and reflected on the the letters of Paul primarily, uh, especially Paul's letter to the Romans. He wrote a a commentary on on the book, uh, the letter to the Romans, uh, which was to have an impact on the church for uh, years and, in fact, centuries to come. Uh, but for today's New Testament reading, I propose that we turn to Ephesians uh, because the same themes that excited Martin Luther 500 years ago uh, that drove him deep into the biblical text uh, can be found here uh, in this reading. So uh, using your new pew Bibles, I invite you to uh, read with me from Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read the first uh, ten verses there. And this is one of those days, by the way, when it helps not only to hear it, but to see the words in, in front of us. As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. 
Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, well, uh, today, uh, as you have heard several times already, today we are remembering the 500th anniversary of what has come to be known as the Protestant Reformation. Uh, I don't think, and uh, I don't think any uh, scholar really believes that when Martin Luther or one of his graduate students, more likely, uh, nailed those 95 debating points to uh, the church door in Wittenberg, uh, that it was then, at that precise moment, that the Protestant Reformation began. Uh, the, The truth is, lots of historical events including the invention of the printing press and, and, and in fact, the longing of some German princes uh, to be free from the tyranny of of Rome. Lots of events came together at at about the same time to produce this thing that today we call the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther gets uh, lots of credit, uh, but he was only one part of it, an, an early part, of course, and an important part, but perhaps not the earliest, right? And, and maybe not even the most important. There were others. Uh, a century earlier, in fact, Jan Hus uh, in Prague was already laying the foundation uh, for what was to come, and as you know, he was uh, burned at the stake for his teachings, which were considered to be uh, heretical. Uh, so this thing we celebrate today had many parts, and it involved many people, and frankly, Uh, it's difficult to know where to begin. Uh, I should tell you uh, at the very beginning that this is thrilling for me uh, to be here at at this historic moment here in the geographical center uh, of the Reformation. What what a thrill. I'm about as excited about what's happening today as I have been in uh, a long, long time. I I grew up in a Christian tradition which uh, celebrated the Reformation every year. Uh, with a special Reformation Day uh, worship service. In fact, I talked to my mother yesterday, and she was trying to decide whether to go to the morning worship service or a three-hour service in the afternoon dedicated to celebrating the Reformation. Right? Uh, these uh, uh, annual services were, in some ways, anti-Catholic rallies. Uh, we celebrated what we had against those Catholic brothers and sisters. Uh, I also graduated from a, a college named after John Calvin, the great Protestant reformer from uh, Geneva, and I serve a church today, which is only a 10-minute walk uh, from the Gross Munster, where, where Ulrich Zwingli pe- played a key role in this movement. 
The Reformation is a big part of my life and, and of how my faith developed over the years. Uh, but I have to say, now that the day is finally here, I'm, I'm not entirely sure what we should be doing. <laughs> I'm not sure what this day really means. Should we celebrate or merely commemorate? Uh, maybe we should gather today and repent and, and, and confess our sins. After all, there was a great deal about that period in history to be ashamed of. John Calvin, I don't know if you know this story, John Calvin famously burned or had Michael Servetus burned at the stake for denying the Trinity. Ulrich Zwingli drowned a group of Anabaptists in the Limat River for beliefs that many of us here today are quite happy to be identified with. Martin Luther, especially toward the end of his life, although evidence of it is there already earlier in his writings, Martin Luther wrote some of the most disturbing anti-Semitic essays ever produced. Right? They're, they're shameful. And that's just the beginning. I, I don't know if you've thought much about this, but the, the legacy of the Reformation is not all good news. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, for the first 1,000 years of church history, the, the church remained together. Which, when you think about it, is a remarkable achievement. There was a split between East and West in, in, in 1054, which most of us today would be hard-pressed to explain. Right? But, but the church continued more or less in, in unity then for another 500 years uh, until the Reformation. And then, uh, I mean, how should I put this? Things fell apart. One of the most shameful legacies of the Reformation is that it has become common and even expected that Christians walk away from each other in times of disagreement. And, and, and we don't just walk away from each other, we, we denounce each other right, as heretical. Uh, today, listen to this, today there are an estimated 43,800 denominations in the world often living in distrust and judgment of the others. It is shameful. It must grieve our Father in heaven. It is not what Jesus prayed for on the night before he died. Read John 17. Right? Over and over in that chapter, Jesus prayed that his followers might be one, even as he and the Father are one. I could give you a, a few other examples. I'll, I'll give you just two more. Another uh, terrible legacy uh, of the Reformation is that the Protestant church almost entirely abandoned the inner life. I mean, it's true that the Reformation uh, produced a flowering of the intellectual life, and, and, and frankly, that's one of the reasons I'm so proud to think of myself as a a reformed Christian today. I love it that my faith has an intellectual rigor and, and that you can talk about it and, and debate it and, and you know, study it. But, but in the process of encouraging the growth of philosophy and, and frankly, the growth of the natural sciences, what the reformers largely abandoned were the spiritual practices. I mean, today, 500 years later, uh, Protestants are turning to Catholic writers like Thomas Merton and and, and Henry Nouwen, in order to rediscover contemplative prayer. 
And, and, and spiritual direction and intentional retreat. So, I mean, over the years, I, I, I've enjoyed taking elders off uh, away on, on retreat each year, and we have ended up most of the time in Catholic retreat centers. And there is an historical reason right, for why we found ourselves there. And then just one more of these unfortunate uh, legacies. The Protestant Reformation led... I don't know if you have thought much about this, but it led to a rejection of art and beauty. Right? If you've traveled to uh, John Calvin's church in Geneva, St. Peter's, then you've seen how the reformers painted over <laughs> all of those beautiful paintings on, on the walls and, and ceilings. Today, in parts of the building, that art is, is slowly being uh, uncovered. But reformers like Calvin had no use for art. And so the walls of the churches were left blank, church buildings were plain, and the focus always and everywhere, they said, was to be on the Word of God alone. So look at the architecture of this church. The pulpit is in the center and raised, and the choir is in the back, and this is all a direct result of the Reformation. Only 500 years later have Protestants begun to rediscover art and architecture and beauty and their proper place in church and in worship. So once again, let me ask you, uh, I mean, what should we be doing today? Celebrating or asking for God's forgiveness? No wonder most people I know prefer to dress up in silly costumes and go to Halloween parties. Three years ago, uh, along with a, a group of international church pastors and spouses, Susan and I visited uh, Martin Luther's famous castle church in Wittenberg, and our guide uh, was a newly minted PhD graduate in history. And at one point, uh, I asked him what Martin Luther is most remembered for in Germany today, and his answer, and I've told this story before, so forgive me if you've heard me say it, uh, his answer was that Martin Luther is remembered today and, and celebrated for having standardized the German language. Uh, when he translated the Bible from the Latin to the German. And I remember hearing that answer and feeling sad. In fact, I feel sad today as I relay the story to you. I mean, yes, it was a wonderful thing that the Bible became available to people in a language they could understand. Uh, but is that Luther's most important legacy? You know, before we forget, before the Reformation disappears altogether from our minds, I want to lift up for you some important truths. Right, truths to today that should not be forgotten. If we're going to celebrate today, let's celebrate these things. We should acknowledge and confess those other things I mentioned, of course. Uh, like most revolutions, uh, political and religious, uh, there's a great deal to be ashamed of. Right? But today, let's remember th this great gift th that we have been given. I, I think most adult Christians should know this much about uh, who we are and what we believe and what, what that faith is that has been passed along to us. And, and even if we can't say exactly what Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, they differed among themselves, you know, if we, even if we can't say exactly what they taught, uh, these are the truths 
that we should remember and celebrate. Uh, as far as I know, uh, none of the reformers ever talked about the five solas. <laughs> it would be interesting if you could find a sermon by Zwingli about the five solas. I doubt that you'll find it. Sola Scriptura, Solus Christus, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Sola Deo Gloria. There's a beautiful piece of art on the uh, front of your worship bulletin today uh, 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 portraying the five solas, and it's by the Christian uh, calligrapher Timothy Botts, and if you're unfamiliar with his work, I recommend it uh, to you. Uh, no reformer, as I mentioned, ever taught the five solas, but looking back uh, at this period in history, uh, what emerges and uh, what seems so clear are these themes, these truths. What animated these people, what, what, what drove them to do the things they did, uh, what, what led them to offer their own lives like Jan Hus, right? and it was these five truths right, that I think are the most important legacies of the Reformation. So let me say briefly what, what, what each of them means. Sola Scriptura. Scripture is the revealed and written Word of God. It's the divine authority for life and teaching. Everything else, ancient creeds, the, the faithful teaching and preaching of, uh, of church leaders over the years, everything else uh, carries less weight right, uh, for us than God's Word. In fact, everything else must be measured right, against Scripture. So we are people of the word. It's not uncommon to hear us uh, called uh, people of the book. Uh, how are we to live and act and, and think? Well, that's easy. What does the Bible say? Uh, according to the Westminster Confession, this was written in 1646. Th this is a famous quote. You should know it. Uh, councils may err. We should have applause uh, when we hear a, a, a statement like that. Councils may err and many have erred. Therefore, they are not to be made the rule of faith and practice. Amen. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. <laughs> Next, uh, Solus Christus, Christ alone. It, we need no mediator between God and us other than Jesus Christ. Uh, every Sunday morning, we, we stand in this church and we open our worship bulletins and we read the prayer of confession and it's remarkable to me. We confess uh, to ourselves, to the people who happen to hear our, our voices around us, and most remarkably to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You don't need to come and see me privately. You can. You don't need to come and see me privately. You don't need to go to anyone else. Your relationship is the, with the one who died for you. You pray to him. You confess your sin to him you appeal to him for forgiveness. And, and, and let me ask you this, who is more likely to forgive you than the one person in the whole universe who is most for you, who gave his life for you? Solus Christus, Christ alone. Next, sola gratia, by grace alone. There has never been, uh, th there has never been a more beautiful word in my life than the word Grace. I was going to say it was the word that changed my life, but that's not true. Uh, my life was changed, and then I went to find a word to describe what had happened to me. Uh, I was loved and accepted and, and, and wanted, and, and not because of anything I had done and 
and, or found the courage not to do, and at first I couldn't believe it. I had never felt anything so good or so wonderful. I will never forget the first time that that feeling came over me. It's why I stand here today. It's why I am doing this 40 years later. One word, grace. I have read some modern analysis of of, uh, Martin Luther that he suffered from a form of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, sometimes called scrupulosity. He he lived in a, a, a constant state of fear that he wasn't good enough and, and that he wasn't doing enough and that he would never be acceptable enough and, and that he would never find God's love. And, and to 21st century years, uh, that probably sounds ridiculous. Uh, who, who worries about those things? And yet I've known many church people over the years who suffer maybe from a milder form of this dysfunction. If the gospel is good news, you would never know it from looking at these church people. It is only by God's grace that we are loved and wanted and forgiven. Sola gratia. Next, sola fide. Uh, By faith alone, this was a big one. Uh, uh, We are not accepted by God, according to the Reformers, because of any good works that uh, we have done or or that we could do. Uh, We have nothing to offer as payment for the righteousness Uh, that we need in order to come before God, the the righteousness is received in only one way, and that is by faith alone. So as the Bible puts it, we're saved by faith alone. Uh, Faith in the incarnate Son of God who lived, suffered, died, and rose again to achieve righteousness for us. I hesitate to give you so much theology and to use so many uh, theological words in one sermon, but if there was ever a day to do it, today would be the day. The, the doctrine or the teaching for which Martin Luther will always be remembered is justification by faith. Uh, Luther famously said that justification by faith is the article with, with which and by which the church stands. For him and and, and for everyone who proudly stands in the history of the Reformation, and I include myself in that, there is nothing, not one thing that you and I can do to achieve or receive God's righteousness uh, except to believe. Uh, Genesis tells us that Abraham believed God. And uh, this quotes uh, Genesis here, it it was credited to, to him as righteousness. It was the one and only expectation that God had. And Abraham met it. Sola fide. And then finally, uh, soli deo gratia. Uh, To God alone be the glory. Uh, Composers, uh, some of you uh, uh, know this better than I do probably. Uh, Composers like Bach and and Handel uh, used to put the letters SDG uh, on the works they composed. Bach, uh, I read this week, even used those letters on most of his secular works. And, and so what they did was for God's glory alone. You know, the, the, the applause was nice, but the work in their minds was for another purpose, and it was for a much higher purpose. Uh, more of us, I think, could learn to live for God's glory alone. We should all put the letters SDG on everything we do. Getting approval from peers and parents and 
co-workers and faculty and, and, and fellow students or whoever you are looking to impress. Uh, getting approval from them is nice when it happens, but it is nothing that the, the reformers have taught us. It is nothing compared to living and working for the glory of God alone. And that's when we become fully human and, and, and fully alive and, and fully the people we were meant to be. So, I'll come back to my question. Should we celebrate this day? I don't know. But we should remember what the Reformers taught us and the rich, rich legacy of faith that they have left behind. Right? For all of that, I am grateful, and I give glory to God alone. Amen.